1: For those of you who are guests, I'd like you to kind of feel like you're part of where we're going and where we've been. We're studying a book in the Bible that's actually a letter written to a group of people 2,000 years ago in a city known as Philippi. It was written by someone who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down to those people exactly what God wanted them to know and to do. But he wrote it from a place called prison, and it wasn't a real happy place, if you can imagine what jails were like 2,000 years ago. And what was so interesting about this letter is that it's so full of joy, and how much he was just filled with joy and compassion, even though he was in bondage for doing something that uh, the world said he was doing wrong, but God didn't see it that way at all. But he was going through a time of trials and testing. As we go through this particular letter, we kind of take little sections of it to really understand what he had to say. Because although the letter was written for the people 2,000 years ago, it was intended for us living right here in Hawaii or from wherever you might have come. It's for today, right today in your life. Now we're in a section of scripture that I've titled, The Kind of Man God Uses. And I can imagine some of you ladies out there, you're going to look at that and you're going to say the kind of man God uses. Is this a church that's all about men and they don't care anything about the ladies that we have a man up here and the ladies are less? Not at all. In fact, we really care for ladies. We realize your tremendous worth and God has made you unique. And at the same time, God has helped us men to help you as well, to serve you, to love you, to be the kind of people that would be there for you, to protect and provide if we're married, etc. And so really, it's learning how to be better men to treat you in a better way. At the same time, ladies, I know you might be seated next to a man. You might even be seated next to your mate. And as I make some points, it's going to be easy for you to think, ooh, my mate needs to hear that, so you're going to give him one of these jabs. And I, I hope you don't do that. I hope you just thank the Lord that he's here and not somewhere else and let the Lord do the job. And then the other thing for you single ladies that are here today, you might be saying, well, this has so far for me. I don't have a man in my life. I am a woman. How will this relate to me? Well, let me tell you why this can be a blessing to you, because what you might be doing, because you are single, is be selecting a life partner at some time in your life. And when you do, you're going to begin thinking about what kind of a person would I want to be married to in the later part of my life. And so this would be a good maybe um, menu of what you might be looking for that would either be in a man or that the man is aspiring to become. In other words, he set this as his character life goal as well. And so this might help all of us. And those of you that are parents, especially of sons today... You might be thinking, what can I do to help foster these particular character traits even now in them? And so what kind of man does God use? You could also translate it. What kind of a boy would God want to have grow up to be a man? And help them with that as well. So there's a lot of different ways if you really want God's word to change your life. It'll be a real blessing to you. It's interesting, though, that we get our caricature of what a man is like by what we see in the media, whether it's television or whether it's going to the movies. And I think I've isolated four different types of men that the world will parade before us as caricatures of what men are like. First would be the bullies. In the old days, it would be the Dirty Harrys and the Rambos. Today, it might be the Bruce Willises. It might even be some of the rap singers and players. They really have very little regard for the law. They neglect anything that has to do with authority, and they're going to make their way known. And you can see bullies in the playground. You can see bullies where you work. You can even see bullies in churches. People that men that want to really take charge and take over and they don't really listen to the needs of others. The other kind of person is what we call the phony. They're the ones that think that they build themselves up by belittling other people. And so they think they're better by knocking everyone else down. And maybe some of those people could be the Archie Bunkers and the Al Bundys of the old days gone by. I don't watch much TV today, so I don't know who they might be as far as figures, but you know the the principle. Then you have the Wimpies. These are the ones that nobody takes serious at all. In fact, their motto is, blessed are the passive, for they will avoid conflict at all costs. So they don't get involved in anything, but they don't take lead, they don't really influence, they aren't the kind of people you'd want to follow. And the last group would be the sissies, and they don't even pretend to be masculine. This would be the uh, Michael Jacksons to the um, Boy Georges, people like that. In fact, they are so where they are today that they've given up on their roles and identities. And so the world now puts that before us. And so men are struggling with, where do I fit? Am I a little bit of this, a little bit of that? And they're wanting to know who they are. Often they just kind of give it up, and they become what often their dads were like, or the masculine authority figure that might have been in their life early on, and they take that on. And what I'd like for all of us to do, particularly the guys that are here today, If you'll do this for just a moment, instead of running the role of masculinity through the grid of videos and television and all that kind of caricatures, I'd like you for a moment to go through the Bible and see what God has to say about the role of a man. Now, I need to quickly say this, that there is so much in the Bible about masculinity, not at the superiority to femininity, but in its own little role, that I could never conclude an exhaustive study on that. And I don't need to do that. And the reason being is that we're in a section of scripture where that there are two men, possibly even three subliminally, that are used by God to show us a model of the kind of man God is going to use. So I'm going to appeal to the men that are here particularly for today that just for today you might lower any bit of defensiveness, a little bit of pride and say, all right, Lord, I need to step up I need to kind of dial it up a little bit. And I want to know what is the model of the man that I should become and at least give me something to work with this coming week as I lead my family, as I work on the world of work, or if I'm in school, that I could show the world the true biblical position of what a man is all about. Now, let's do that by looking at a couple of guys in this passage of Scripture. One of them, his name is Timothy. And notice what Paul said about this guy, Timothy. He says, For I have no one like-minded. In other words, Paul is about ready to set up this guy and say, you know, there's nobody who thinks exactly the way I think about how people ought to be reached and touched. So I'm going to use Timothy as an example. He says, and I will too. The other name, I didn't want you to have to write it because it's so long. His name is Epaphroditus. Can you look at that? Apaphroditus going to make him come alive to you and you're going to see some tremendous qualities that this man had that I would like to aspire to have in my life as well. So those are the two guys. I read this somewhere that a man's greatness is not determined by the value of his wealth but by the wealth of his values. And so what I've done is I've looked at this scripture and I can see five particular value traits that we could embrace into our own life by the power of the Spirit of God to become the man of God that he would have us to be. What kind of man God is going to use? So number one would be the caring man. Let's look at that, shall we? If you will, would you read with me out loud the verse? This is part of the letter that Paul wrote to the people at Philippi about a particular person named Timothy who was a caring man. It says this, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Christ Jesus. All right, here's where it's happening. Paul is in jail. We've already talked about that. But while he's in jail, he's really concerned about the people living in Philippi. Now, he's received a letter back from the people of Philippi. They've sent some money to him. They've made some of his needs known and met some of those needs. But there he is so far away. He has no access to telephones, cell phones, email. There's no way he could connect to those people. But he's so much concerned about them, he wanted to know how they were doing. So then he selected two men that were nearby. One was named Timothy. The other guy was named Epaphroditus. And so here's what I said. We have three men here. Two are very prominent. Timothy, Epaphroditus, but the third one subliminally is Paul. Paul is another model man, and here's what's happening while he's in jail. He's saying, I really care for these people. i got to know how they're doing, and I want to find out. So let's just see if this works for you. How many of you have a loved one that's off in college? How many of you have a loved one that may be off in military somewhere? Or maybe you're stationed here on the island because of business, but you've got family back in the mainland. Now, today, all we've got to do is go home, hit the button, and we can instantly communicate to them by way of uh, email. I talked to someone in our family who has another family back on the mainland, and they spoke an hour and a half on the telephone last week in one conversation. That's incredible. Now, that's the care that Paul has for these people. No communication, so he wanted to know, so he got thinking. Who could I send that would give good information, encourage those people, and get that information and get it back to me? Who cares for those people as much as I do? It didn't take him long, but he said there's a guy like that that had a caring spirit, and his name was Timothy. Would you look at that verse again, and do you see the phrase where it says, Sincerely care for your state. Sincerely care for your state. I got thinking, how could I explain it in a way so that it sounds, and it is, masculine? Because when you hear the word care, you think of some sissy guy who cries a lot. But it's more than just emotion, because you can have all that kind of emotion, but you don't relieve the suffering. In other words, you don't care enough to change that other person to help them to go to another level in their own life. And so Paul here, he cared enough about them, so he sent somebody there so he could help them. Now, here's our model, folks. Listen, Jesus, when he came into the world, he didn't come into the world so that the world would serve him. Scripture says he came into the world because he wanted to serve them. And in the same context, it said... That he did it so he would be a model for us to follow. That when we are in the world, people aren't there to serve us necessarily, but that we're in the world to serve them. So if you're looking for, how do I put into this, if I'm going to be a caring man, what do I do? Here's what you do. You say no to your needs And you say yes to the needs of those that are around you, and then because you care enough for them, in other words, you feel their pain, you're going to reach out and touch them in some way. Now, I'm not just talking about the physical touch, but I'm going to say you're going to connect to them in some way. So, can a a man who's so wrapped up in himself reach out and touch someone else? Not very well. So, here we have it. Paul says, I care for you, I want to know how you're doing. Who else cares for you as much as I do? Timothy? Timothy cares for you? I'm going to send Timothy to get some information back. That's his intention here. He's looking for someone who cares. My question to you before we move on is this Who right now, that's in your sphere of influence, men, needs your masculine touch? Who right now do you need to change your schedule, your timing, your finances that right now needs an assistance from you? Is it a son? Is it a daughter? Is it someone on your job? Is there someone now that you need to extend what I call a forgiving spirit to them? Is there someone in the church right now that has a need that's unmet? And we've gotten so wrapped up in the busyness of our own life that we care for them from a distance but just don't ask me to get involved. Who needs this right now that I can show that to Now watch this. That caring that you're doing is not a sign of sissiness. It's actually a sign of true masculinity, We saw that a couple hundred years ago when a lady would walk in front of us and there would be a puddle there and the man would usually throw down his cloak. Remember that old joke? And she'd walk across it. Well, guys, who around us needs us to throw off our schedule, lay it down, so we can then help that other person go to another level. And I believe right now the Spirit of God is speaking to you. That's what a real man would do. That's what men are all about, is that caring spirit. Well, let's go to number two. As we go further in the passage, we not only know that he's a caring guy, but he's also a consistent man. Notice the verse says this. But you know, and he's writing to the Philippian people, but you know his, meaning Timothy's, proven character. Would you circle that? You know Timothy already. I'm going to send him to you now. He's a caring guy because he cares for you. That's why I'm sending him. But he's also a guy with great character. So I'm not just sending someone who's got great care, but he also has character. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, As soon as I see how it goes with me, but I trust in the Lord that I myself also could come. I'm sending him, but I'm in jail. I can't. He has freedom. He can come. I'm going to be locked up here for a while, but I want to come to you shortly, but I can't get there. So he says, all right, who can do it? Someone who cares, but also someone who is consistent, someone that I can count on, someone that has proven character. Well, I got thinking about that idea of proven character, and I was wondering what would be one part of the characteristic of the umbrella of proven character? I think it's in one word, and it's the word integrity. A person who has personal integrity is someone that people can see their integrity through proven character. They are consistently, in other words, they do what they say and they say what they do consistently. Now, if you want to try to put the formula together for integrity, then it might look something like this. It would be holiness plus consistency will equal Integrity. In other words, you choose to be holy before the Lord. In other words, you choose to live a life of honesty, decency, that type of integrity, purity, all of that. But you do it over a period of time, we'll call it this way, a period of tested time. Then it will translate into a person who has integrity. So consistency with holiness has integrity attached to it. Now, if you'd like to know what Timothy's name means, it kind of helps us to focus. His name means to honor God. So, here's this guy. He's a person who really cares. He's a person who's really committed. And here's this Timothy guy, and he's going to be full of this proven character because it comes from a heart that says, I want to honor God. There are some of you that might be listening on radio or tape or not uh, certain of this whole God thing right now. But I want you to understand that there really is a God and that God really does love you. And that God looks to you to come back to him and to honor him with your life. In a few moments, I'm going to tell you how that Jesus Christ is the model of this man that God wants us to be. But for right now, God says he wants us to honor him. So here's what you're going to look at in your life. You're going to look at, all right, have I chosen to honor God? That would be the concept of holiness. I'm going to live a life honoring God. I'm going to do it over time, which will be consistency, and it will translate into integrity. So, if a person has integrity, he's going to be blessed with three things. As I did this search of integrity through Scripture from the old languages, I came across three results or three benefits of someone who chooses now to be a man of consistency. Here it is. First of all, he'd have what is known as a clear conscience. Look if you will at Proverbs chapter ten, verse nine. It says here, "He who walks with integrity." Notice the word "walks" has the idea of consistency. With integrity, walks securely. But he perverts his ways will become known. All right, let's see if we can help you with this. When it talks about a clear conscience, it means that as you go back over your mind, you can think of no one that you've offended or nothing that you've done in any way that would be offensive. So the opposite of a clear conscience is a what kind of conscience? Shout it out. Is it what kind of conscience? A guilty conscience. So a man of God that chooses to have a clear conscience, the presence of a clear conscience is the absence of a guilty conscience. Now, how would I know that I have a guilty conscience? One way, there's going to be this inner voice, and I don't mean a woo-woo voice, but there'll be something that will be partnering with you on the inside that you know that you know that this is really wrong. How many of you, male or female, have been in a position where they, you know that this probably wasn't right, but you went ahead anyway, and you really felt inside that guilty, crummy feeling that you got from it? When you have that guilty conscience, that's like a governor, that's like a buzzer that goes off to either prevent us from doing something, or when we do it and that conscience buzzer goes off, then we deal with it by confessing it and getting it clean. If we don't do that and we carry that guilty conscience for a long period of time, what we then do is we begin to take this issue and try to blame place. It's not my fault, it's really right, we call it, we try to justify it. And we do this during the day. We do it during the event. We do it in the quietness of our night when we try to fall asleep and we realize, I wonder if this was the right thing. Should I have said that? Maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe, maybe. our conscience was really going crazy. Then that translates into we get very tired. People then get depressed. They get fatigued. They get down. They slow down. Their energy level is sap. And it generally goes back to guiltiness that comes from a guilty conscience. And that's why it says that if we have a clear conscience, we'll be then walking a straight path and it will not eventually destroy us. So I would like to say to you men right now that want to be that man of God, allow the spirit of God like a candle to go to the very deepest recesses of your conscience and be humble and willing enough for it to be revealed and quickly do business with God. And here's what I'm going to say in love. Just give it up. Whatever that is that you're wrestling with trying to justify, find a verse for it that either says you've done it, you've blown it, grieve it, confess it, leave it, move on. All of a sudden, you're going to get a breath of fresh air. The load will be lightened. You will not be in a potential path of destruction, and you'll be in a position for blessing. The kind of man God uses is a caring man, but a consistent man with a clear conscience. But secondly, the second one here says this. He'll have discernment the man with integrity will have discernment. And here's what it says. It says the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful, and here we could say of the inconsistent man, will destroy them. Once we allow sin to come in and our conscience becomes guilty and we do not do business with that, eventually we start making wrong decisions that we do not have the discernment. And wrong decisions create more guilt and more guilt. Now we're really all goofed up and we have moved from a guilty conscience to perversity. Now I'm not here to amplify all what perversity could be. It could be moral perversity, it could be financial perversity, it could be relational perversity, but that's the consequence of someone who loses touch with making right decisions because their conscience is goofed up. And so here we are as men. If you want to step up as a man, begin working on not how strong you are or how much of a building you can build or a battle you can fight, but take the battle inside for a moment and say, I'm willing to be a person who gets my eyes off myself to care for others. I want to be a person that can be counted on for consistency. And the first thing I'm going to deal with is my integrity. My integrity is going to come from a clear conscience. And when I have a clear conscience, I'm also going to have good discernment. I'm going to make right choices. So the rest of my life, I'm not trying to correct the wrong choices I've made. So I'm going off on a deeper path toward destruction. But then it goes to number three. Another time I found integrity in there, it says that a person with integrity will have happy children. I don't know that they're going to be giggling kids, or babbling babies, or laughing Larrys when they get older, but it does mean that they'll have a sense of blessedness, there'll be a sense of peace, there'll be a sense of rightness about them. And so you can capture all the nuances of the word happy or blessed there, but it's the opposite of a a, uh, guilty conscience. So it'd be happy children. Look at the verse, it says here, the righteous man walks in his integrity, and his children are blessed After him. Now, here's my question. Uh, You men, wherever you might be, most of you men have been blessed with having children, whether they're by flesh or by adoption. Some of you in the culture here of Hawaii, you have an ohana and you're looked upon as the uncle. And you know what I'm saying. And so you may even have your own kids, but into your ohana, you would be an uncle. You've got another person in your life. However that might be, what you want to say is, all right, what can I do to provide the masculine image for these kids? So instead of being the person who can do so many push-ups or can fix the car, although those things are important to do, is to be healthy, et cetera, but your commitment is going to come from being a person who's caring, that has the character of consistency. And when you do, listen, listen, folks, this is almost like a law, like the law of gravity. If I threw this microphone up, the gravity would bring it down. If I throw up integrity, what's going to come down will be blessed children. There are those in this church right now that are eating the sweetness of happy children because of the price they paid early on to be a caring husband, a caring father, a caring man, who added to that the consistency of choosing to guard their conscience To make sure at the same time that they would make right decisions based upon what they learned from Scripture. So they put the time in knowing the word, to apply the word, to choose the word when they are called upon to make a decision. And now they're enjoying a family that they can guide sometimes with a little... And that's all it takes for them to whip back into shape. Occasionally they can give them that old stink eye, you know, and the kids come right back into shape. Now, for those of you that are saying, wait a minute, I could look at my life and I have bought into the world system of masculinity and now I'm learning how to be a new dad. Have I wasted it with my kids? Let me tell you that the Lord can restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten in your past life. And you can take from this day forward. And I'm going to tell you what the power of God's grace, forgiveness in your life and the new you. Sometimes you will add more nitro into that relationship that can turn those kids around because they do see a difference in you so quickly now. And it's a consistent one. So it is never over. There is hope for you guys here. The future is bright for those of you that are willing to start today and move forward to be the kind of man that God will use. There are other guys. Let me read these to you. I looked at Joseph. He had sexual Integrity. A woman came after him sexually constantly, and he kept rejecting it. God eventually blessed him tremendously. Nehemiah had unselfish integrity. While he was building the wall, he didn't take a shower, didn't change his clothes. He ate what everybody else ate. He had what you might want to call unselfish integrity. Job had spiritual integrity. He knew that his kids might sin, so he did whatever spiritual sacrifice he could make to help his kids to get closer to God, just in case they weren't where they should be. He had spiritual integrity. David had personal integrity. He's a great leader, but when he fell, he immediately took responsibility for it over and over and over again. I like that one. We will step off and step out of bounds. And when we do, we don't blame that someone shoved us. We immediately say, you know what? I was too close to the edge of the bed, and that's why I fell out. I take responsibility. That's personal integrity. Daniel had leadership integrity, and then Paul had ministry integrity. So here's the question you could ask yourself, guys, a question that I ask myself. What area in my life needs my attention right now? What area in my life needs my attention right now? And I'm not talking about just shutting televisions off and all the stuff we might watch and all that's important. But the first thing that needs to get attention is our heart, is our heart turned toward him. And then those other things become an easier thing. If our heart is right, our feet will be swift. Number three, a cooperative man. In the same passage, he keeps building and building, a caring man, a consistent man. But this kind of man can't do it alone. So now he brings in another guy, another one of his brothers in the Lord. His name was Epaphroditus. So look at the verse. It says here, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. I like to look at that, and I'm saying, look at how he identified this guy. He had three different monikers. He wasn't just a brother, he was a fellow worker. He wasn't just a fellow worker, he was a fellow soldier. So when he thought of Epaphroditus... He saw Epaphroditus wearing all sorts of kind of hats at the time as he looked at that. And here's what I say. And maybe this will work for you. It sure worked for me. I saw when it talked about brother, in order to have a brother, if you were an only child, would you have a brother, yes or no? No. Okay. If you're an only child, don't have a brother. You're by yourself. All by yourself. So when you're a brother, that means there's others around you is my point I'm trying to make. And here it talks about a fellow worker. So that means that you're not a worker, a lone ranger, all by yourself, that you are connected with other workers in whatever activity of employment you might have. And then it talks about here, I love that it keeps building on it.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.